Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today, I'm here with Jen Fiddler, who is the girl that I am doing worlds with. You've probably seen her on Instagram. And we are recording this podcast for a second time because the audio went to crap last week when we tried to do a walk and talk version of this. So we are a few days out from Worlds. And I really want Jen's story to be out there because I think it's really insightful and really inspirational for so many people, whether they can relate directly or indirectly. And so Jen, thanks for being here again. (laughs) (laughs) So give me an idea of like what your background is as far as like fitness and exercise pre-jiu-jitsu or growing up or in the mom life. Okay. So uh, let's see. So starting when I was a kid, I was the oldest of four and we were pretty active. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. So she ran us to different practices and things. And I tried a lot of different things. did all sorts of lessons, tennis and uh, roller skating. I really found that I liked dance. I did ballet, tap and jazz. I did ballet for like 10 years, Um, made it to point, which was a big uh, thing for me. And then I was in that uh, junior high time where I really wanted to do school sports So I ended up doing um, a little bit of volleyball and basketball. I think like a lot of girls, I got to where I was just more interested in social life and school and things going on. I just was too busy for all the sports. So those kind of faded away um, as I was a little older and um, going into college like anyone else, I gained a little bit of weight. Funny enough, I actually originally was going to be a PE teacher and uh, decided to quit that because I didn't think I'd be able to get a realistic job. Uh, The opportunities weren't great, but I had like classes like like I had to learn how to juggle. Like so I'd be practicing (laughs) juggling scars, which is like a a silly thing that I can do now. But anyhow, (laughs) fun fact, fun fact. But then, um, yeah, I went into nursing and uh, got my degree and um, became a mom, which was a difficult task. We went through infertility, in vitro, multiple miscarriages, accidentally figuring out the problem, found myself um, in my late 20s to 30. Um, By the time I was 30, I had four kids. They were all very close in age. Um, So I had four kids in four and a half years, all by C-section. 
I hadn't been active. I'd only been living mom life. And I was over 200 pounds. I couldn't, and I wasn't like a strong 200 pounds. I couldn't do anything. And my whole life revolved around being a mom. And I was bored out of my mind with having all these little kids around. Um, And it sounds weird, but it's like, they're all there. And you get touched out. You just want to be left alone. You forget who you were before you even had kids, which I'm sure every mom can relate to. And I kind of got this weird little mantra, which was um, put your oxygen mask on first. And that's when I kind of decided I needed to change everything and make myself happy instead of looking to my kids and husband to do that. Um, So I started at the Y, um, the Treasure Valley YMCA, and I started with just walking, basically, C to 5K app, because I knew even if I was there for like only five minutes, I was going to get a workout in. If my kids were crying, I had to go back to the child watch. It was fine. And the kids got used to it. I got used to it. I got to where I could run 30 minutes. Then I did the C to 10K app. Well, and then I could run for an hour. Then I started doing Zumba. So it was me and the old ladies doing Zumba. And I was getting thinner and thinner. I um, did some yoga. I got back a lot of core strength because, I mean, I couldn't even do a sit-up. I would get horrible ab cramps when I tried to do anything. My core was so weak. And I lost a lot of weight. So I went from like 220 to 120. And I was like, how long did it take you to do that? You know, it probably was, I was a person who kind of bounced up and down a little bit. So it probably took me a good six months to a year to really make that. But I, I bounced around. So it was probably a couple of years before that was really solidified. And then I decided, cause I had this apron of skin that I wanted a tummy tuck and I was sick of having, you know, I'd be in yoga and we'd be like downward dog and I could just feel the skin slowly pulling out of my pants where it was like, I'd have to decide when I get ready for the gym, like, do I tuck in the skin in the underwear? Or do I just kind of let it go over and wear the loose shirt? It's kind of a funny thing to have to consider. But anyhow, I got a tummy tuck. I felt like, okay, I'm like, I've restarted, but I'm weak. And I saw all the CrossFit ladies at the Y and I thought, well, that looks pretty cool. They look really strong. And that's when I really got into it. I went into CrossFit and it was like mind blowing because I learned this whole nother level of push that I had that I didn't have before or maybe I had I just didn't know that I had and the community was so supportive like celebrating my first sit up and it took me a year but I finally got a push up and so I had started focusing on gaining muscle like gaining weight in a good way and getting stronger and progressive overload. They really taught me how to lift properly, even though 
I'm sure plenty of people are like, oh, whatever, CrossFit. But it provided a great foundation for lifting. And then COVID hit. Um, we had already barely set up a home gym in the garage with bumper plates. And so I just got into that. And as things were pulling out of COVID, because there, there wasn't any CrossFit at the time they were closed, um, that's when we looked into jujitsu, which actually first happened because my youngest daughter, um, I have all daughters, but my youngest at five, um, we kind of decided she'd be into it. I listened to Rogan. It sounded cool, but I wasn't really brave enough to be the first one. She was looking for a sport and we're like, all right, well, it's either jujitsu or t-ball. And she went with jujitsu and it's kind of like the rest is history. Like watching that, I was like, oh, this is super cool. Um, there was another mom there, Courtney, who super awesome. She was getting ready to start and it felt like, okay, here's a time that I can do it with someone else who's new. It's less scary. I kind of know the place. And I went from, oh, I'm going to just go a couple times a week to now it's like, sometimes I'll go three times a day. I train a ton. These last few weeks, it's been like 20 hour weeks <laughs> of jujitsu. So it really, um, really got going quick. I got into competing about six months in and that's, that's the uh, focus once again, being ready for comps. Yeah. I feel like there's so much crossover between CrossFit and jujitsu mm -hmm. in terms of like people getting like all in drinking the Kool-Aid, getting really excited about it and just going full send in their commitment to it, really buying into the culture. And there's just, there's so much crossover there. I think a lot of CrossFitters end up starting jujitsu and we see a lot of that. Um, I think there's just a similar pull to it. And we all, we could talk about like five or six different things within your story of like yeah. weight loss, um, um, yeah. like deciding to create a whole new identity for mm -hmm. yourself. And most of you don't know Jen, but training with her, you would not know that she had a background that was sedentary or unathletic. And I think it's a testament to like, A, you can always redefine your reality and your identity and getting older doesn't necessarily, or becoming a mom or whatever other life event comes up, doesn't necessarily mean that like that your shit's over, that you're washed up or that you can't pursue something new and get really into it. Like, I don't know. I never saw jujitsu and competing being on my radar and I grew up being pretty athletic, but I don't think we probably ever thought in our mid to late thirties that this would be something that would be occupying so much of our life. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it wasn't until I had children that I ever did a pull-up. Like the first pull-up in my life wasn't until I got fit again after having kids. Yeah. Same with a push-up. Like I really thought that that wasn't something I was physically ever going to be able to do. I just thought, oh, other people can do that, but I actually can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, well, it's just progressive overload over time. And I can actually do it. And I feel like it's one of those things that doing those big things, you realize like, oh, no, it's, it's possible. And that's right. just like with competing and jujitsu. It's like you do a big thing and you go, oh, I'm no different than anyone else. They can do it. I can do it. It's just a time and commitment and training. Right. And it's like a huge belief system too. We're going to talk about this a lot more extensively, but like your athlete brain that I think you 
discovered a bit later on in life has really fueled your weight loss, your shift in identity and competitive, even starting jujitsu, like that takes a lot of courage for people, for especially for women to start jujitsu. It's not the most, it's pretty intimidating for a lot of people. And then to take it to the next level of competing. And so you got really into jujitsu and tell me about what happened about a year ago. So about a year ago, so September 8th to be exact, um, I was in pump training and we were about an hour in. Little background, just before this, I had been cutting pretty hard, lifting, training a bunch. I was doing a little body transformation challenge and I was really, truly at, I would say, my best um, physique shape of my life. Although I've come back pretty good, but I I don't know. It's pretty. It was pretty solid then. My body fat was very low. I had a lot of um, definition. I felt strong, but I had been training hard. So we were training, and it was kind of an uneventful moment. If you were looking at it, I was swept. So if you don't know jujitsu, it was just. I was in a top position and then the person I was rolling with kind of basically flipped me over kind of to a bottom position. And I'm a small person. I'm uh, 130s, 5'6". So I get tossed around plenty um, and we're on soft mats. So sometimes it looks pretty scary and epic, but this wasn't even one of those times. It was just a quick change of position. And it was a fluke thing, the quick extension, slight turn of my neck and stopping caused a vertebral artery dissection. So everyone knows your carotid arteries in the front. Well, you have two also big arteries in the back, the vertebral arteries. One of those arteries kind of pinched between bone um, in that maneuver. And I mean, lucky for me, it didn't just totally like snap. Um, but the weak point of that vessel is the inner lining that frayed. So that fraying of the vessel causes the blood to clot as it's going by those little rougher pieces. Those clots shot off to the posterior circulation in my brain. So the back half of my brain just filled with all these little clots, all these little strokes. And in that moment, what it looked like was like I was immediately drunk and super hungover. It felt horrible. I was just very weak and dizzy, lightheaded. Um, I sounded like I was drunk. My vision started going. Everyone that was seeing me there thought it was odd that I was kind of holding up a hand to pause and I needed a break, but they didn't realize how bad it was initially. They started rolling another round and they're kind of watching me. And then I started feeling sick, nauseous. I started throwing up. I kind of tried to hide it because I didn't really want anyone seeing me like that. And they figured it out pretty quickly. Um, called 911. They're trying to get me to come to and they're talking to me. It's like a movie scene. I'm on my back. I'm like... It, everything's very bright. I can't see very well. They're asking me how many fingers they're holding up. I'm kind of guessing they're, you know, all these questions, you know, of like medical questions as they're talking to 911 and the paramedics get there really quick. I don't want to go. 
of course they take me anyways. Um, and then I don't even remember the ambulance ride. And then I'm at the ER and I'm a nurse. It's, I mean, there's so many weird things with this, but so I'm at the hospital that I work at, that I've worked at for 17 years. And it's hard because although I'm having a stroke and a lot of things are off, I still have my medical knowledge to where it's almost more difficult for them probably to figure out what's up with me because I'm, I'm just wanting to go home. I'm like, Oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, I'm just tired. They were very distracted by the fact that I was a low body fat that they could see abs. Like I can remember people talking about me when I wasn't fully with it of how they were seeing landmarks on my body that you normally can't see. And, um, kind of funny when I think about those little moments that you remember, but anyhow, after I couldn't walk after a few hours still, they, they actually, so they did a CT, they did a head CT, but they didn't use contrast. And that's, I guess the big takeaway for anyone that has any head injuries or suspicion of something like that is to get a CT with contrast. Cause that would have shown what happened. So they did this initial CT and they still couldn't quite figure it out. They decided, okay, she still isn't great. We need to observe her overnight against my wishes. And they brought in a female doctor who had a history of being a athlete. And she was, in my mind, the first person that really looked past my physical conditioning and my training schedule. And she did a really good thorough physical assessment and noticed um, some irregularities with my peripheral vision. And decided to consult a like stroke specialist or something like that, some like telehealth, um, and came back and said, "Look, I'm worried it could be some other rare things. I'd like to do some more imaging if you're okay with that." Um, so I said, "Fine." We went. I went off to imaging. They tell me, "Oh, your room isn't ready, um, so we're just going to keep you here." And actually, you're going to go for this other um, test. I'm like, okay, not thinking much of it. And then she comes in and tells me like what happened, like, and this is at this point, I'm having more of a headache. I'm feeling a little bit worse. Um, all the lights hurt my eyes. I'm asking them to turn off the lights and putting a wash rag over my eyes. I'm holding on to the side of the bed rolls because I'm dizzy all the time. And she's telling me, look, you had like a massive amount of strokes to your posterior circulation. Um, you're going to the ICU and it, explaining it to me and, and even getting upset and crying hurt. So it's like, I couldn't even really fully like process that, I guess it's like, cause it was just painful, physically painful. So I went into the ICU and, um, I was there overnight. It was a very long night. And that next morning, the, um, neurosurgeon, Dr. Chuka, who is amazing, um, came in and told me that um, it was bad and I needed to have emergency surgery then that I'd been falling asleep in the middle of the conversation I was having with him. And I didn't have any time, basically, that um, the only other option was that I would die. So I went for a posterior fossa decompressive craniectomy with a ventric, meaning they cut out a credit card size 
section of the back of my skull to allow for swelling. They put in a patch that has a titanium mesh to make it watertight. And they left a little hole to be able to put a drain in, anticipating that I'd have swelling after the surgery and they would need to remove some fluid, which they did. I was worse initially after surgery. I was I fell out of my bed twice. I ripped my IV out. I had to be physically restrained and tied to the bed. I needed a sitter. Um, but all in all, I did well. I was in the ICU a week. I went to an outpatient or excuse me, an inpatient rehab for a week. But I had to start things over, especially because the damage to my cerebellum was so bad. I was always dizzy and not. I was like in a wheelchair and then in a walker. Um, it was very humbling to see myself as I felt like brought back to square one in my physicality and being unable to do anything and having hydrocephalus with all the swelling, meaning my whole brain was affected and I was often confused, just off. Like my voice was weird for a couple months. So many things were just off about me. And uh, yeah, I had to start over basically a year ago. Yeah, you definitely seemed, I mean, all things considered, like you were surprisingly able to perform activated daily living pretty early on. Like you're you were able to do a lot much earlier than I think anybody anticipated. But I do think that you did seem more like aloof and just sort of out of it, which again, of course, is expected. Um, But you right away were already doing and able to pick up so much more than I think the average person who experienced such a traumatic event. Yeah, they told me, um, my neurosurgeon, who was the most optimistic, told me in six months, walking down the street, if someone looked at me, they wouldn't be able to tell what happened. But that leaves a lot of uh, room for error. And I was back, I was driving at three weeks, which probably wasn't the greatest idea, but I was. I was um, back to work at six weeks. And I mean, I work uh, as a nurse, like I don't have like, just this easy you know, cush job. Like I have to use my brain (laughs) and, um, it's weird. There were little things like the changes to my voice, um, that just faded away or how it affected my memory. Um, uh, I think I bounced back probably quicker than most people would have anticipated. And I know, like all the other doctors in the ICU were just kind of like, I felt like a level of discomfort or cringe from them when I would talk about coming back to jujitsu and wanting to compete again. And like no one, like my husband would say, no one would want to tell you no, because they didn't want to like stop that big will to like push and get better. But he's like, I don't think anyone realistically thought that that was going to happen right and it's where like we talk about how athlete brain when it's like leveraged well can like really in this case especially like save your life you did so many little things 
early on that I think facilitated huge leaps and like neuroplasticity where you, you were just able to like rewire parts of your brain. I remember you wearing like flip-flops because you knew that that was going to be harder for you. And I feel yeah. like I will always remember that because I was like, that is such a, a minor thing that most people would have no concept of, but like, yes, how much you do have to coordinate that aspect, but how that can carry over into so many other things, but doing those little tiny challenging things that really add up so much over time. And you did that in so many different ways. Yeah. I would go on huge, long, multiple hour walks and I couldn't even really walk straight. If I actively thought about it, mm-hmm. it was like watching someone who was like drunk walk down the street probably, <laughs> but, um, Cause like your peripheral vision was yeah, shot, basically. my vision and my balance. Um, but the neurosurgeon told me, um, he was like, you know, the sooner you, he said, the more you do things that make you dizzy and uncomfortable, the quicker that you will get better. Like, don't basically don't be lazy, push yourself. And that's how your brain rewires. And I think everyone who knows me well was like, oh God, why did you <laughs> tell her that? Because of course that's what I wanted to do. So, I mean, the weekend I left the hospital, I went and walked to 5k. It was supposed to be a half marathon, but the, um, the rehab doctor was like, please do not <laughs> run a half marathon. But, um, I really just tried to push and do everything. I also recreationally um, pole dance and I was back to doing that. I would walk, just walk around and I'd put my pole heels on and try to figure out that balance again. And it was very hard, but I think challenging my brain really did help things come back quicker. Cause I feel like when I, spoken with people who've had the same thing or there's this group facebook group uh chris martin is a um awesome uh black belt that runs this facebook group for people who've had this and uh the very specific uh, group of people that have had this in jiu-jitsu it's not super common but i guess it's happened enough over a large population um and i feel like i i bounce back really quick when i hear other people's stories and i think that some of it is I really pushed to do things that were difficult. And I, I don't know. I, I'm i sure plenty of people did not like the things that I... Well, I know plenty of family members were concerned with the things that I was pushing to do early. But I think it paid off in the end. Yeah, it's like how athlete brain and that drive and that motivation can really like save your life and definitely your quality of life. Cause I think if you were told like do nothing and if you bought into that or bought into doing the minimum and lived in that fear, I think it would be really easy to stay there and have belief systems attached to like, now you are incapable of doing this or it's too dangerous or it's too much. And you just never really allowed that to define life on the terms that you wanted it to be. Yeah, that was, um, a good piece of advice that I got early on from a nurse. It was just like a little call from the insurance company, but it's kind of funny. Anyway, she, I don't remember much of the call, but I remember her telling me that um, as she was kind of getting the gist of everything that happened and how wild of a story it was. And she was just saying, you know, don't let anyone tell you what you can't do, including the doctors, because no one really knows it's your brain and it's really up to you. And you know, you know yourself. And I don't know. I mean, 
I guess if it turned out really bad and I made it worse, then I'd be saying, oh gosh, I should have pulled back. But um, I think it just reinforced that idea that you can do really hard things. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that's basically what I've been training for since I started training. It was like, you work really hard and you think about those what if scenarios. What if someone comes up and tries to kidnap me? What if someone breaks into my house? What if something horrible happens? What would I be? What kind of person would I be? And I think I don't think a lot of those things as much because I feel like I know what kind of person I am now. Like Mm -hmm. it was really, really hard sitting in that bed, feeling so horrible and being by myself because it was the COVID times (laughs) and the end of COVID times. And I feel like I know now that I can push harder than I ever thought I could push. And even when it's really bad, that I'm not someone who gives up and my autopilot is okay, we're going to push harder. And so at this point now, kind of coming back to everything, I've competed once locally and you know, getting ready to do worlds. It's like, now I know like I can do really, really hard shit. I'm willing to put my body through anything. Yeah. Like I passed the test, so to speak. Absolutely. So how did you decide to come back to jiu-jitsu and what was, and exercise? Like, what was that process like? You know, I've talked extensively about, um, there's certainly not being any guidance for people like you. And that's obviously a huge complaint in the world that I work in is the lack of information for female athletes across the board, especially when given a specific circumstance or injury or symptom or whatever it might be this is another example of there not being a lot of guidelines for returning to exercise or returning to sport in this capacity. Um, I think that that was really hard. There's, there wasn't any guidelines. I know we talked about that early on the lack of guidelines and it's kind of like a liability thing also. Like mm-hmm. people don't want to say, Oh yeah, right. do what you can do. And they don't want to be like blamed later if you break yourself yes. and everyone is so different that it's really hard to say like on my discharge paperwork, it was like, you can do light housework. And it's like, well, I don't even know what that means. But um, even in rehab, they had me do things that you wouldn't normally have a person do that had done this because they said my prior level of functioning was so high that it was fine if I did, for example, things like push-ups. but you would never have someone do that initially after injury that had what I had happen. So the comeback was very individualized. It was a lot of me figuring it out with trial and error. Um, I'm lucky enough to have some awesome teammates that have worked with me for a couple of years now. And um, like my bros, my purple belt bros, um, Chris and Max were my guys that had to work with me a lot more as they came back to the mats, um, which is probably a little over two months um, after the injury and they were just good about trying to watch pressure, watch the back of my head, or they'd give me an idea of how to protect it better. I had to change my game. I had to work a lot more on my guard, my open guard, doing things to keep people away from the back of my head while also dealing with my strength and muscle loss from being out of it. So trying to get back into lifting where I was listening to old RP videos where they're saying what to do after an injury. And it's like advice for people who've like strained 
a muscle and I'm right. trying to apply it to my injury, but I, I had no great guidance. So it was like, all right, well, we're going to start with some body weight. We're going to do one set then of this, that, or the other. It, it's all progressive overload. And right. that's what I did. I just went back all the way to square one. And I just really had to watch the pressure and like bracing. That was a big thing. Um, hugs. Hugs were the most painful thing that anyone could ever do to me, ironically, because everyone wanted to come up and give me a great big hug and it was horribly painful. And I would just get burning pain from the pressure on that patch where it would probably, I assume, flex some nerves and the pain would shoot along the top of my inside of my head is what it felt like down to my gums and teeth and tongue. And it felt horrible, but I would just kind of like smile and like grin and bear it. But it was difficult when I'd go to lift heavy weights um, anytime I would try to brace. So I had to modify that to where I didn't get and hold a max pressure. I would brace and have to slowly exhale. I'd have to watch compound movements that required a lot of balance. Um, Squats were very difficult, especially single leg activities, lunges. They were very difficult because of the balance. Um, and coordination required. So coming back, doing more isolation movements initially, or any compound movements, I had to go down to nothing or just the bar. It was a slow, slow buildup, slow with sports. Um, And then I just had the goal of, well, I want to, within that next year, I was like, I want to compete next year, Um, which like that was the big goal I think that scared me the most because I thought I don't even know if this is reality or not I don't I don't have no clue and I did I did one competition um at blue so so that was cool that was like a big moment and that first match was terrifying um because also it was a just crummy timing I'm a night shift nurse and I worked all night and then I had to compete but It was just like, oh, okay, we're doing this. But I didn't think about the pain in my neck or my head and, and it was fine. And then after I thought, okay, well, I'm more durable now. Things have healed. Um, They've done imaging by the way, and it showed the vessels fully healed. So it's more coping with the structural changes, the manipulation of the tissue of the back of my head and that I'm missing that bone. Um, and then the slight residual from the strokes of my right peripheral vision is forever impaired and my balance and coordination are just off touch. It's like, I'm just a little bit more klutzy, I guess, than how I was before. So I have to adapt to those things. Mm -hmm. So what does doing worlds mean to you? This is like the biggest jujitsu competition there is. It's a pretty big deal to compete there. And you're doing it one year post a significant like medical experience. Yeah, um, it's been a cool goal. I think, you know, for me, it'll it's just before the one year. So I like the fact that when in the future I meet people, they won't really know. I could be like, oh, yeah, this happened. And then. A year later, I went to world. So it wasn't a big deal. (laughs) I like that I could just kind of blow it off. And um, I like that the people who know what this is and this had have had this happen will realize like 
what a big deal that is. Like, that's cool. And that when people have this happen in the future and they do what I did where I'm like, man, am I going to get back on the mats? What, what is that like outcome going to be? They can maybe run across my story and be like, oh, okay. Well, a year later she went to world. So yeah, I can totally come back from a really crappy thing. And, um, I don't know. It just feels like coming full circle. And I was like, oh yeah, I can be able to go and be okay with knowing I won't be like totally at my best. It's like, I've been at blue like a little less than a year and I had this happen. And I was like, oh, I won't be like as crazy competitive. It'll be, I can be more relaxed about it. And then it's like, no, like (laughs) you start training for it. And it's like, I will go as hard as I possibly can. I will train as much as humanly possible. And there's just like everything. There's no way of like being chill about it. I know there's no chill. This has been a crazy couple months of many hours and a lot of volume, a lot of intensity of jujitsu, getting the brain and body ready to compete at a really high level. And I think it's been awesome. And again, anybody from the outside looking at you, watching you perform and the kind of training you've gone through I've been front center with you on like no one would know, like no one would know what you've been through. And I think that's such a testament to the process that of work that you've put in and the trust that you have in your ability to be really resilient and test those waters so that other people can have that as like a guiding light for them. If they've experienced something like this, whether it's the same exact injury or something similar where there's not a lot of protocol for returning to whatever sport or whatever exercise or whatever quality of life it is after they've been sidelined and people get sidelined all the time for so many different reasons. And I think you've provided a really great example of the self-confidence that's needed. And then the consistency of truly like progressively overloading every aspect of your life from activities of daily living to exercise, to jujitsu, to even like your mindset and confidence. Yeah. And I think um, it also is a testament to like the jujitsu community too, because For instance, when I was injured, um, our school, basically, they set up within like that next day that I had surgery that by that morning, they had like a food train and like food set up for my family for like a month. They went out and they um, got like snacks for my kids to be able to make their own lunches. And that lasted me like a good six weeks they um to where by the time I needed stuff I was like with it enough to take care of it when I got back on the mats it was like everyone knew okay they needed to go a little bit more gentle but they were still like helping me progress and challenging me and even now it's like everyone still knows to be mindful but then also okay now we got to push her more because she's getting ready to do this this tournament so I think it's also like the group of in whatever sport you're in, it's like the group of people that you're around that you train with. Like you are training, we've been doing plenty of partner drills and it's been harder in the month of August with more conditioning. And we know how we move more to, um, we've been, tra- me and Bree have been specifically training a lot more together over the last couple months and it's been good Um, we have very different styles. So that's been another plus 
and helping each other get ready, which I don't think people maybe always think about, but it's, you know, the people that you're working with make a huge difference in your ability to prepare yourself. Absolutely. Prepare and adapt. And like, I've learned a lot from you because you've had to like work so hard on your guard game this last year because of like where your injury is that you've become so good at that. And like, I freaking hate it, but I'm doing it. And it's been really insightful to just like learn from each other and then have, have another person in it with you. And I think it's in a really positive way. Train training for this kind of competition has changed the culture at the school over the last few months and like a really positive way. Like, I think it's just, people have been really supportive and just, um, showing what's possible with two moms, um, coming in or recording a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But hello. (laughs) Um, so typical. Um, yeah, just show showcasing like what two moms can do something, a huge like theme of, you know, this brand is like, practicing brave and that like athleticism doesn't end when motherhood begins. And I love that we're walking that. And I love that we're doing this for two, for different reasons, but similar like sentiments of what we want to prove to ourselves and just try it, like just get out there and do it and have that opportunity and that experience. And it's, it's such a gift to even be able to be out here. Yeah. I feel like before I had kids, I don't know if it's because of that, but I, I had a bigger fear of failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once you have kids and you go through all that, and I don't know, it's something, something about that. I, I I don't really fear. I mean, I don't want to fail at things, but it's not going to hold me back from doing stuff now. And you get at a certain point, you're like, well, I don't know. Things already aren't great. So might as well (laughs) try. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's like more freedom, like as much as we're super committed and, intense and really driven I think there's also just like more freedom and maturity in the process of knowing like but also we are moms and we have careers and we have like lots of other things like we're not paid to do jiu-jitsu we just like we choose to be here like we like this this is this makes us really happy and why not take it as far as we possibly can in this season of life because as you know like you never know like you never know when that can be paused or can come to an end for a lot of people. So why not write it out? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I, I didn't realize what was ahead of me <laughs> the next day and you never know. So yeah, it's like, people will tell me like with competing or other things they want to do. And they're like, Oh, well, I'm going to do that after I do this or after mm-hmm. I lose weight, I'm going to do this or after I, whatever. And it's like, well, who knows what's going to happen between right. now and then. And if you're ever going to get to whatever magical point you want, like you just got to do whatever you can when you can. Absolutely. Such positive perspective. Jen, I appreciate your time sharing this story and you're going to kick ass. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. We're going to go, we're going to do our thing and hope for the best. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, 
three to four workouts each week and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.